time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. So anyway, we're going to jump in uh, tonight. And uh, let's start in Romans 7. Okay, we're going to hang out a lot in Romans, actually. Uh, and uh, that's fun. Do you know that this is, this is, maybe some of you can research this. I've read that there are a number, when we talk through... Uh, historical revivals. We, you know, um, primarily we see revivals breaking out uh, from young people praying uh, historically. However, another unique thing to many of them is studying Romans. I'm not saying that that's key. I just, interestingly enough, uh, so, you know, maybe if you want to jump in. But uh, Romans 7, I'm going to start in verse 15. I'm going to read just a few verses here. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I, but what I hate, I do. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. For I have the desire to know what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? As we read Paul, as he's writing this here, I believe that this scripture is one of the most uh, relatable passages in the Bible. Um, it's one of the most difficult to read. You try to get through it without saying do-do uh, as much as you can. What I do do, I do not want to do-do. Uh, but as we read it, I think it's so relatable in that many of us, I would say all of us, can say that we've, we've experienced this very thing, where the things that we desire to do, we do not do. And those things that we are wholeheartedly desire not to do, we end up doing. And it's this weird thing where we're, I mean, maybe some of you, even now, maybe, possibly, you know, in this 21 days, maybe in your fasting, you're like, man, I so desire to do this well. And you're like, I don't know why I eat every day. I just, I desire, I, God, you know my heart. I want to do this, and I just can't help but eat a candy bar every morning. You know, we want to do, the good we want to do, we, we tend to not be able to. I think most of us relate to the things that we don't want to do. We get swallowed up in the moment, and we're like, you know, the moment passes and we're like, why did I do that again? How did I let myself go there? How did this happen yet again? And I think for most of us, it, it causes all sorts of uh, condemnation, pain, frustration. We start questioning, asking the Lord, I thought I was a new creation. I thought that you made all things new in me. You know, I, what, what's going on? Why do I still do these things? Or why can't I do the things that I want to do? start asking the Lord these questions. When we read Paul here in uh, Romans 7, it's really interesting to look at what follows right after that in Romans 8. Romans 8, 1 is where Paul says, for there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. I, that's a, that's a crazy left turn. I mean, here Paul is, He's just going off on how much of a failure he's been. And how much he was like, 
everything in, in my former life, even now, everything, I, I, I failed, the things I want to do, I don't do, the, all this, and he's just going off. And, and then he's like, but you know what? There is now no condemnation. That's not the same place that most of us land. For most of us, we don't land at, I'm a sinner, I've failed yet again. But guess what? There is no condemnation. I'm full of joy and hope. I look at my sin and it doesn't faze me. No, 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 no. That's, that's just not the way I've seen it. So even tonight, as talking through this, I just, I've had enough conversations recently that I know that there are many of us dealing with this. I know that there are so many of us struggling with this idea of how do I overcome this sin that I just can't seem to get past. And I thought by now that I would be done with this. I thought by now I wouldn't think this way. I thought by now I wouldn't talk this way. I thought by now I wouldn't treat people this way. I thought surely by now this sin would no longer be hampering me. Or I thought surely by now I would have a life in God that's vibrant and I love the scriptures and I love spending time alone with the Lord. And I, I just, I love all that and I, I want to do all these things and I just do it so well. And we thought we'd be there. But for many of us, we're not. And so what does that mean and how do, where do we go about that and, and, and how do we go forward? And my, as I was praying for us and I was looking at, and this may not be for all of you, but I think this, I know this is applicable to all of us at some point. Some of you are here now. Some of you will be here in the future. Some of you have come out of this and so you can relate to it. I want us to live Romans 8.1 people. I want us to be people that say there is now no condemnation. I have zero condemnation. I love, I love Paul's whole list. He lists this whole thing, and it's so confusing to read. And you're like, wait, who do you, I do not do, do this, that. You know, and you're like, what's it? And he gets to the very end, and he says, and it's, but I'm free because of Jesus. And it's like he set the whole thing up, where so we're all just like, yeah, I'm with you, man. You're a failure. I know, me too. And then he's like, but guess what? I've got good news. It's like all along he knew that his failure didn't matter because of what Jesus had done. My prayer for us is that we are people that do not live with condemnation. I've seen condemnation cripple so many young people where it gets them to where they feel like they don't deserve Christ's love. It gets to where they start to even question, do I really love Jesus? If I love Jesus, why do I keep doing these things? It, it cripples us. Condemnation cripples us because we start to think that, well, because I can't get over this issue, I just, I'm worthless or I'm not, I don't have value. Or I, I, surely God won't use me. And we just start to even speak these own self-fulfilling prophecies over ourselves as if we can't do anything. But I think that there's one key element to us overcoming and not being people of that live in condemnation. How do we not wallow in condemnation? But also, let me just say this, one great way to not live in condemnation is to not do the sins that cause condemnation, right? Like, like one great way to not have condemnation is to actually overcome these things. So I'm, I want to talk tonight about that, and I don't want us to just be like, okay, I get, somehow we're going to talk about this, and at the end of this, I'm going to understand why it's okay for me to be this, you know, where I, I give in to every sin, and therefore I don't, I don't, but I don't have to have condemnation. No, we need to be overcomers. 
And you can be. And it's my hope that this year, as you spend this year here, that you will gain tools and understanding that will help you for the rest of your life overcome sin, to defeat the enemy. So I think there's one, uh, one main idea, and, and I'm just going to scratch the surface of this tonight. It's not uh, nowhere close to, to going in depth on this. But how can we be people that do not live in condemnation and that actually overcome sin? And so tonight I want to talk about the grace of God. The grace of God, Titus 2, 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Even when Paul was talking, you know, I had this whole list in, in Romans 7. Paul does a, a similar thing in 2 Corinthians. He's complaining to God about his weaknesses. And God responds to him. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So we're going to hit on the grace of God for a little bit. And like I said, this is going to be just a skimming of, of the surface. There's, uh, there's just too much. I was actually, I had a breakdown this, today with Amy. I was a little overwhelmed. I was like, uh, there's way too much. Why did I ever think to talk from the book of Romans? I did. We had this conversation. I was like, what was I thinking? I was like, chapters 4 through 8 are all so meaty. There's so much to them, and yet they all go together. You can't leave any of it out. I was like, what am I doing? And so literally tonight, this is just barely, this is a taste test of it. Um, But these are just some of the foundational truths. As we talk about the grace of God, I think that um, we live in a day where there are, uh, and, and there's probably more than this, but at least two primary incorrect responses to the grace of God. Uh, two primary things that, that I've seen, or that we've seen, uh, how people respond to God's grace in an incorrect way. The first one is that we think somehow we have to earn it. That somehow I have to be good enough. I, if, I, if I don't sin, if I don't do these bad things, then I've earned God's love, I've earned salvation, I've earned grace. And the second one is that we think that uh, we don't have to do anything, and we chalk it up as it's cheap, and we treat it like nothing. Both of them speak to the value. Are we forever trying to earn God's affection and earn God's favor and earn God's love? Or do we just say, you know what, grace covers it, I can do what I want, I can live how I want. So those are the primary ways that I've seen incorrect response to grace. Um, so before we get into that, so, uh, uh, and this is, like I said, this is a little bit different of a night, I know, but it's okay. Uh, I, I do encourage you, if you have a uh, pen and paper, just to jot some of these notes down, uh, just as this is going to be kind of more of a, a note-taking list type night. Um, rather than a nice one point with a joke so you remember it type night. Um, so, First Thessalonians 5.23, May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless. Before we can fully understand the process of grace, uh, I, want us to, I want us to first kind of hit on the fact that we are a threefold person, a threefold self, the spirit, soul, and body. Um, those are the things that, we're, that make up the human being. So just quick definitions. Our spirit, okay, so our spirit man, our inner man, this is the eternal peace to each one of us. As we talk about the spirit tonight, this is, uh, this is the, the place where God dwells. When we 
uh, ask the Lord, you know, when we kind of do the cutesy Jesus thing, you know, I ask Jesus into my heart. I mean, it's not cutesy, it's in the Bible, but I'm just saying, you know, this is where God dwells, okay? So that's the spirit. The soul, when I'm talking about the soul, I'm talking about the mind, will, and emotions. And then the body, obviously, this is our flesh. It's our, you know, it's, it's, we can see things and touch things and, you know, we can, we have to live in the flesh, in, the, in a physical world. I don't mean in the flesh and sin. I just mean we live in a physical world. So I want to talk tonight briefly about how grace impacts those three pieces. Uh, and and scripture, scripture uh, even talks about in Hebrews the dividing the spirit and the soul. I mean, there is context to that these three different, uh, that, that we, are, we make, are made up by these three different ideas. They're not ideas, but whatever, spirit, soul, and body. Uh, and so first, how does grace impact our spirit? Like I said, the first misconception of grace is that we can somehow earn it. That somehow we can be good enough and uh, that we can earn God's grace. And dealing with condemnation, that we can stand confidently before God because of something that we've done. And that's a false idea, in case you didn't know. Um... So here's the first word we're going to talk about, justification. Romans 4, Paul goes to great lengths to talk about Abraham. All right, you guys know who Abraham is? Father Abraham, had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. Uh, okay, so, uh, so let's just praise the Lord. All right, we're not going through the whole thing. Paul goes to great lengths in Romans 4 to talk about Abraham and to talk about that he uh, that it was by his faith that it was accredited to him as righteousness. It wasn't his actions. It wasn't what he did. It wasn't his works. That wasn't the reason that God blessed him. That wasn't the reason God said he will be a father of many nations. It was because of his faith. And even as we read the story, he had faith before he had the actions. And Paul starts to talk about even he had faith. And it was accredited to him as righteousness even before he was circumcised. as the physical statement of his following God and, and a, a life consecrated to God. And so... He goes to, he's basically saying, listen, so often we want to say that somehow we are justified by what we do. But we're not justified by what we do. We're justified by our faith in Jesus. And so we can stand before Jesus with confidence, not because of what I have done or have not done, but because of what he has done. And so I'm not going to get into justification and atonement. That's for another night. Um, just think right now of, you know, Aslan and taking the place of, what's his name, Ewan or Edgar, or what's his name, Ed, Edmund, I don't know, so, you know, and then whatnot, it's the deeper magic, that whole thing, so, but, so, but, so somehow, Jesus is our justification, he, in dying on the cross, the life of Jesus, and I, and I believe it's the whole story. I believe it's God becoming man. I believe it's Jesus living perfectly, then the cross, and then the resurrection. It's all tied in together. And as he did that, we then can be justified before God. That means that we have right standing legally. Not just like, oh, you got in by the hair of your chinny-chin-chin. But we get to legally have right because of what Jesus did that we have been forgiven for our sins. So therefore, we don't have to wallow in condemnation. Our spirits, our eternal inner man, has been forgiven and we are justified so we can have confidence in approaching the throne of grace. We can have confidence before the Lord because we know that in that moment, I said yes to Jesus, I have faith in Jesus, therefore, I am justified. 
It's not by my works. It's not by what I've, what I've done that has somehow made me good enough. That's not what has made me and have right standing before God. So therefore, when we, when we are living our life, we have one of these Romans 7 moments. And we're like, ah, oh, I keep doing the things I don't want to do. We can remind ourselves, no, look, I am justified. I have been forgiven. I am redeemed. It is not by my actions, but by Jesus's. It's because of what he has done for me that I can have confidence before the Lord. Romans 5, 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love, and that's an important piece. He demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I know that this sounds like, Dan, this is like basic Bible 101. You know, like I've been hearing this my whole life. But I think this is one of the things that's really hard for us to understand. It's hard for us to to really believe is that we've actually been forgiven and justified. And not just like, not just like uh, forgiven like when, when Caleb, you know, makes fun of me for being, you know, so much better looking than him. And and that he makes fun of me for that. Uh, And then he comes and apologizes. And I'm like, well, I forgive you. But inside, you know. I'm a little hurt, but I'll forgive you because it's the right thing. No, no, no. This is literally, we're not just forgiven. We are justified before the throne. We are made right because of what Jesus did. And it has nothing to do with our actions. It has nothing to do with how good we've been. It has nothing to do with how, even how bad we may have been. It has to do with what Jesus did. It has to do with his actions. It has to do with what he did for us. He made us right while we were still sinners. Not because he was like, oh, Look at the people on earth. They are acting so good. I should, go, I should go to earth now because they deserve me to go die for them now because they're doing so well. No, 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 no. He was like, they are miserable in their sin. They are the worst of all sinners. Now is the time because of my love that I'm going to go. It's not because he, we don't get saved because somehow we've said, Jesus is like, oh, you've been good enough. And so now I'll let you in. Provenient grace is that he chased you down first. He's coming after you. He's running after you. And it's simply our faith, our response to a God that loves us, that says yes to him. That is what it means that we're justified, not by our actions, not by what we've done, but because of what he's done. So we can see through this that what we can do is never good enough. Meaning, I don't think any of you could live a perfect life, so much so that your life would be good enough to atone for the sins of the entire world. I Maybe, probably not, the Bible says not, so I'm going to go with not at all, right? Like nothing we can do is good enough. And I don't mean like nothing we can do is good enough for him. I mean like we, we cannot carry that. Jesus carried it for us so that we can have right standing with him. Why? Because he loves us he wants relationship with us and because he does not want us to be wallowing in condemnation instead of running after him so even as we see this i want uh, as we talk through this idea we are justified for relationship we are justified for the idea of, of getting to know god and so paul writes in these chapters about the law and even the law was not good enough 
No one could, even someone who followed the law perfectly, the law was not good enough to save. The law's primary role was to reveal that we are failures, that we cannot do it, and that we need a Savior. So when we fail, guess what? What that's supposed to do is propel us to, re, to remind us, oh yeah, I'm not good enough. This is not ultimately about me. This is ultimately about Jesus. I've, I forgot for a minute. I thought I was really great, and that does happen. A, a lot of times we start to think we're really great, and, and then we bump up against our sinful nature. We bump up. We have one of these Romans 7 moments, and we're like, what happened? I thought I was doing so well. Jesus, I need you. And he's like, I know. I know. In our weakness, we cannot earn it. And it's, I, I, I don't even know. I, I think that it grieves the Lord, but maybe he thinks it's cute. I don't know that, that we even try. It's, it's like we, there's just no chance for us to earn it. We have to just say, it's my faith in you. I, it's a free gift I received from you, Jesus. But it's as if Paul knew as he's writing this, it's like he knew the, the questions that were coming his way. Like he's writing this, and uh, he's writing Romans 5, and he's talking about not living under the law, you know, and we're, we're justified, and we're justified by faith, and the law no longer applies. And it's as if before the critics could even write him back, you know, they weren't text messaging, so he, it probably took a little while. He already responded to their rebuttal. Romans 6.1. Romans 6.1 says this, What then shall we say? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? The obvious, the, the, the typical idea, people are so afraid of giving freedom because they're afraid that you'll take it to the furthest extreme. And so Paul knew their immediate response of him saying, we have been justified by Jesus. We have ultimate freedom in him. Is they'll say, oh, but people will just start living however they want and we'll have all this mess. And, and you're saying that what we do doesn't matter? If there's no grace, does even how we live matter at all? And what Paul is saying is, no, 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 no. Before you even say that, let us not confuse grace with a license for immorality. Let us not confuse the grace of God and say, therefore, I can live to myself and as however I want. If we do that, then that brings us to the other. So, so one is trying to earn grace. The other is cheap grace. We make grace cheap when we start to say that Everything, you know, like, we kind of start to throw out the jokes, and we're like, oh, you know, whatever, I do what I want. It's all covered by the blood, brother, you know, and, and I just, I can make up my decisions for myself, and, you know, I, everything is about me. What we're doing in that is we're making not just grace cheap, but we're cheapening what Jesus did on the cross. We're looking at the heavy price that he paid, and we're saying, eh, I mean, it's not that big of a deal. Saying, you know, like, I can live however I want. So what? You came and lived perfectly and died for me. Like, do we really think Jesus died for each one of us so that we can just live however we want? I don't think that's the case. Paul says, no, 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 no. That's not what we're doing this for. How expensive was the grace, is the grace that we have? It costs, I mean, second person in the trinity gave everything it's a pretty expensive gift i mean so so if we're gonna not take grace as being cheap if we're really gonna follow jesus 
then I think we should probably do what Jesus says, right? Like, doesn't that make sense? Um, you know, we can't skip over the parts that talk about, like, take up your cross and follow me. You know, like, that's, a, that's kind of a hard one. We're like, really? Like, I have to, like, die to myself? Yes. I thought this thing was, I thought there was grace. Yeah, there is. So die to yourself, sucker. And that's the whole point. We have been given grace. Because of grace, we have been justified. We can stand in confidence before God. Our spirit has been redeemed. Our souls are being redeemed. We, stand, we are being, and here's the word, sanctified. We are being made like him. We are in the process of growing more and more into his likeness. This is, this is something that the Holy Spirit is working in us. We can't skip over Jesus saying that it will cost you your whole life. We can't skip over that, that how we live actually matters. Our choices matter to God. Jude 4, I said it already, but Jude 4 says that grace is not a license for immorality. So here's the thing. Here's how I would say it. Uh, salvation is free. Discipleship will cost you everything. Salvation is free. Discipleship will cost you everything. But here's the, the issue with that is that they go hand in hand. The two are not mutually exclusive. It's like, what is a wedding without a marriage, right? Like, there's no, there's no point. So salvation is a free gift unto us being a disciple of Christ. The point of salvation is relationship with Jesus. And as we have a relationship with him, we are discipled by him. We become like him. So we do want to root out the sin. We don't want to tolerate the sin. We want to be free of that. And you have been given grace to overcome that sin. That is, as we talk about this idea, that is what grace is. is it's the, the ability to say no to our flesh. It's the ability to, to not give in to our carnal desires. Titus 2, I, I read 2.11. This is 2.12. Well, certain 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in, the, in this present age. We've been given grace to say no to our flesh. You have been given grace by Jesus to say no to those sins that lead us to condemnation. We can say no to those sins that we're so tired of. We can overcome. We can live in freedom. I mean, we sing about it all the time. We sing about freedom. We sing about chains being broken. But do we believe it and do we live into it? So I talked about this a little bit uh, in Romans 6 last semester, right before we ended. I want to highlight these again. Paul lays out uh, in Romans 6 ways that we can walk into grace. These are, these are three verses. But I want to point to, it is, it is one of my great desires for you guys to feel like you have weapons and tools to overcome sin. Um, now, obviously, the Holy Spirit is the one at work within you, and we cannot do it on our own. But we do play a part. We do have a role. So Romans 6, verse 11. Uh, let me, sorry, Romans 6, 11. I'm just going to read these. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive in God or alive to God in Christ Jesus. Then verse 12, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. And then if you look at verse 19, or is it 19? Is that what I'm looking at? 
Verse, uh, let's start in 18. You have, set, you have been set free from sin and have become a slave to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body to slavery, to impurity, and ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them to the slavery of righteousness, leading to holiness. So, these are three points I'm going to hit real quick on how we can walk into, the, the, have the grace to walk into freedom that God has given us, okay? I know this is dry tonight. I trust you guys are uh, mature enough to, to buckle down with me and go through this. I think these, this is a really, these are really important ideas for us to get. Verse 11, consider yourself rightly. We must look to who we really are. I believe every day, says, in the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. We need to be regular. I talked about last week. We need to be regularly reminding ourselves who we are. Oh yeah, I'm dead to sin. I'm dead to sin. Today, I'm alive in Christ. My spirit is alive in Christ. We need to realize who we are, that we no longer give authority to sin. I think far too often, we actually go the other way, and we so, we so are worried about it. We're so saying, oh, I just don't know. I think, am I going to do this today? I don't know. I think, oh, it's so hard. I'm a, no, we need to re- speak into your spirit. No, 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 no. You are dead to sin and alive in Christ. We need to consider who we are. Justify. Tell yourself every day, I stand before the throne of God justified because of Jesus. Remind yourself of that. Tell it to yourself until you believe it. Keep reminding yourself. Consider who we are. The second one, uh, verse 12, we need to present ourselves to God. It says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body to obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness. We need to make ourselves available. We need to make our hands available to the Lord. We need to make our spirits available, our minds. Jesus, what do you want to do with me today? Jesus, what are you doing today? I am available to you. I formerly, I made myself available to my own, to my own lust. I made myself available to my own sin. I made myself available to, to my own desires. Now, God, I am making myself available to you. Even verbally articulating it. As you're spending time with the Lord, say it out loud. God, I am available to you. I am not available to to my carnal spirit. I am not available, or, or I'm not, uh, I'm not available to who I was. God, what will you do with me today? I, I think part of this is simply uh, us making the statement of consecration over our lives. Part of it is saying, I'm, I'm set apart. I'm consecrated. I, I'm, I give everything to you. And part of it, though, is actually being available to serve. I think one of the greatest ways that we can overcome our sin is by serving other people. By looking for ways, not just in our own, like, oh, I'm just, you know, I want to feel good about myself, so I'm going to go be nice to somebody. But Jesus, who can I serve as you today? If we start looking for ways to serve people, what that does is that begins to cause us to, to think less of ourselves and more for other people. It causes pride to go away in us, and pride is ultimately what leads us to the sin in the first place. Because when we sin, it is just gratifying our pride. It's gratifying what we want. So as we begin to serve people and look for ways to serve, it causes us to, it causes humility to grow in each one of us. So we look for ways that we can present ourselves to the Lord. And then the last point. So first is, the first one is to know who you are. Consider who you are. Make yourself available. 
And some of this you need to like actually think through. Okay, when do I, when, what are the moments of my greatest weakness? Let me look back at my life and let me think of what moments I know that I give in to, my, to, to sin. Okay, maybe during those times, I see, I see a progression here. I see, I see a common thread. It's, it's the same, you know, it's every, you know, noon, I just get really cranky every day at lunchtime, you know. Okay, what should I do? I'm going to make myself available during that hour from 12 to 1 to the Lord. And I'm going to go serve someone. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to purposely not, you know, maybe it's every time I spend time with these people or every time I watch this TV show, whatever it is. But look for those threads and then say, okay, what can I do to purpose myself in making myself available to the Lord rather than making myself available to my flesh? How can I make myself available in those moments to God rather than making myself available to sin? Because do you realize that most of us make ourselves available to sin? I mean, if you, look at our, if you look at our shortcomings, it's usually because we made a decision to put ourselves in the way of sin. And so we need to make the decision to make ourselves available to God. And then be obedient. Obedience requires listening. Obedience requires knowing. It requires a spirit that is submitted. Paul writes in, in this chapter, he's using the language of, of being a slave. And he says, yeah, I, I do this because, you know, basically he says, you're too dumb to understand any other way, so this is why I'm using this picture. But basically, we will serve. We are servants to whatever it is that we obey. So all of us serve something. Because all of us obey something. We either obey the Lord and his commands, or we obey our flesh, or we obey the, the ideas of society, or we obey the ideas of culture. All of us are obedient to something. And so what we need to do is we need to be people that get that drawn close, that know the voice of God, and that will be obedient to Him. And that as we walk in obedience, step by step, I believe that what happens is, one, obviously, if, as long, if, if we're walking in 100% obedience, then chances are you're not going to sin. Uh, that's a good chance because God won't tell you to sin. And so you don't have to worry about that. As we obey more and more, we hear his voice. We learn who he is. We, we begin to have communion with him. And here's the thing. I don't know. I don't know how this works. Um, and so I'm, I'm not going to... I don't know. Rarely have I seen where a person has something that feels like they, they struggle with it and God just comes and rips it out. That does happen. I've heard stories. I know some people. But most of the time, it's not just this one boom moment. They're set free, delivered from their choices that they've made their entire life. Most of the time, it requires making right choices, obedient choices. And what happens is we get full of the Holy Spirit. And where the Holy Spirit is, there sin cannot be. Where the light is, darkness cannot be. So our, go our goal is to get full of light to get full of, of, of Jesus and being obedient more than I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to stop cussing today. Just whatever I do, I'm not going to cuss today. Whatever I do, I will not cuss today. Even when Austin makes fun of me, I will not cuss today. Even when, even when you know, I have a, 
a, a bad day at work, I will not cuss. I will not cuss. I will not cuss. Oh, dang it. I mean, you know, like, that's like what we do is we just re- convince ourselves, I'm not going to do bad things. I'm not going to do bad things. I'm not going to do bad things. And what we're doing is we're dwelling on the bad things, and then we, we fall into it. So rather what we need to do is we need to dwell on the Lord, think on the Lord, purpose ourselves before him, think on him, and allow, I think you will be shocked at how over time, as you do that, you will see sin decrease in your life. Basically, here's what I'm saying. We can know who we are. Uh, If we look at it like this, our spirit, we can have confidence and not condemnation because our spirit has been justified. We've been saved. This is, our spirit was saved. In in past tense, we, in that moment, when we had faith in Jesus, right, our, our, our soul is being refined, is being led to righteousness, is, you could say, is even being saved in the process of growing unto Jesus. Our body will be, right? We live in a fallen world where we have fallen bodies and we're not in our perfect, eternal, whatever, where we can walk on water and through walls like Jesus did. It's going to be sweet, uh, you know, but we don't have that, right? We have, we have sickness and pain and sadness and heartache. There will be a day where that doesn't exist, right? Revelation says. There will be a day where there will be no more sickness. There will be no more pain. There will be no more tears. Our bodies will be glorified. So we can have confidence because we've been justified. We're being sanctified. And we will be glorified, our spirit, soul, and body. We can know those things to be true, and we can stand on those. This is what grace does in us. As we get to know it, God, I will not allow grace to give me an excuse to sin. God, I will not allow sin to give me an excuse to live in condemnation. I will know who I am in you. I know that I am forgiven. I know that I am redeemed. I know that you did this because you love me. And I won't let sin come eat at me. I also won't let myself give in to it. I won't let myself just say, oh, well, whatever, it's okay. I'm going to fight against this, against this thing tooth and nail, everything I can. And God says, it is by grace that you've been justified, and I will give you the grace to overcome your sin. We've got to know it. We can't live on one of the two extremes. We can't be trying to do nothing but earn our way into the kingdom, and earn our way into God's favor, and earn our, that is, that is That's a hellish way to live. Literally, that is not how we want to live. We want to live as free sons, free daughters that know who we are, that stand with confidence before the Lord, and that fight with everything we have to not give in to sin. And when we have our Romans 7 moment, we can list it off like Paul. We can just read it off. Who cares who hears it? Paul wrote that in like the best seller of all time. A lot of people have read about Paul's junk. Most of us won't even tell our best friends. Paul's like, I'm gonna just put this out there. He wrote this to an entire city. I've never written a letter to an entire city. But if I was, I would present myself as, you know, more presentable. Paul was like, here's my junk. And guess what? It doesn't matter because of what Jesus did for me. I know who I am in him. He's the one that... He's the one that calls me justified. He's the one that has redeemed me. And he's the one that gives me strength to say no to unrighteousness. He's the one that gives me strength to overcome. We are overcomers. We are free. And we need to step into that. 
I think far too often we don't step into it. Far too often we just allow for, uh, we, we think it's just supposed to happen for us. And he's like, no, 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 I gave you, I, I've given you the strength to do it. I, I just, I, I get this picture of like, um, it's like we're, we're asking God to do something for us that he's already given us the keys to do. He's already given us the strength to do it. And he's like, I did do it for you. You just got to do it. We just got to begin to walk in and know who we are and know who he is and know that we're not defined by our sin or defined by Jesus. We're not defined by who we were. We're defined by who we are. We can't allow it to keep coming up and nipping at our heels and causing us to live in this woe is me, I'm horrible, I'm this failure, and I'll never be good enough, and I'll never be the kind of man I want to be, I'll never be the kind of woman I want to be. We got to have more confidence in Jesus than that. We got to not cheapen what he did by saying those kinds of things to ourselves. We don't usually say them out loud. We usually just whisper them to ourselves. He hears them. He breaks his heart. He knows who you are. He knows what he's done for you. He knows the grace he's given you. He knows that you are redeemed. He knows how you stand before him. If we would just have faith to believe it, to say yes to it, and then to not give in. And look, it's, this seems like a contradictory thing. I'm, I'm saying you have grace, you're justified, you stand redeemed before the Lord. But then I'm also saying, no, 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 but we got, we got to fight to overcome sin. It sounds like there's a contradiction, but it's not a contradiction. It's because of what he has done for us that the right response to that is I'm going to fight everything I've got against the sin that's in me. And it's not that we fight against it so that we can feel better about ourselves. We fight against it because we know who he is and we know the price he paid. Romans 8, Paul ties it together by talking about having a mind controlled by the Spirit. Ultimately, as long as we are trying to do this on our own, by ourselves, I don't know that we will do a very good job. We have to be those that say yes to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you're the one that does the enabling work. You're the one that works in me. You're the one. And so I want to give you more room. I want, I want to set myself before you more. I want to give you opportunity. Holy Spirit, I want to partner with you. You've been given the Holy Spirit. Scripture says that he who started the good work in you will be faithful to complete it. So, on those frustrating Romans 7 days, just claim that. You know what? Jesus... The very fact that I hate this reveals that you're working in me. So I'm going to stand on the fact that you say that you will finish the good work which you've done. My part is to say yes to it. What do you want me to do? Oh, and then you tell me, and now i got to be obedient. All right, Jesus, what do you want me to do? How can I overcome? Oh, this Holy Spirit, okay, I'll be obedient in that. Holy Spirit, give me creative ways. Give me creative ideas, and even in my own life, of how I can not... Place myself before sin again. He'll speak to you, and then we are obedient. So I'm not saying this is like some blanket statement that all of us have the same road ahead of us. No, it's unique to each one of us. 
The only thing that's the same is who we're talking to. But for each one of you, I believe the Holy Spirit will give you the tools and the resources and the avenue to walk in confidence and freedom. If we would just say yes. Jesus, we want to grow in you. God, I pray that we would be confident. I pray against the spirit of condemnation. I pray it be broken in the name of Jesus. God, I pray that we would stand before you knowing who we are, loved by you, confident, not allowing condemnation to hold us down, not allowing condemnation, not allowing the enemy to speak lies to us. Jesus, we're asking for your truth. God, I pray when the enemy comes and whispers these lies of condemnation, God, may we boldly proclaim, no, I know who I am, redeemed, forgiven, loved. May we not believe the lies. God, I pray for grace to overcome. May we hate sin more and more every day. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give us creative ideas of even how you are leading us to overcome these things in our lives. God, I pray for the miracles. I pray that even tonight, that for some in here, we give again, we come before you and we say, Jesus, I give this to you. I'm sick of it. I'm tired of this thing. I pray for the miracles of, of in a moment, it's gone. God, I pray for the grace for the for most of us in this place, to every day say yes to you. Say yes, presenting ourselves to you as available, to reminding ourselves of who we are in you, to being obedient to your spirit. May we walk in true freedom as sons and as daughters that know the God we serve and the power he's given us Romans 8, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in you. That's the secret, Holy Spirit. May we live with that understanding. You live in us. In Jesus' name, amen. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did. Because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life.